In our discussion of marriage, we now are looking at this second chapter of Genesis. And in the second chapter of Genesis, we noted in our last broadcast how there is a deep intimacy that God has ordained in the marriage state that is deeper and more open and more real than any other relationship with any other human being on the face of the earth. At least that's the way marriage should be. If your marriage is not like that, and you have some repenting to do on your own, and perhaps some communication to begin with your spouse to try to work this problem out. If in attempts to work out these problems, uh, you find that nothing is beginning to move, nothing is happening, then I suggest that you get involved with a third party, preferably your pastor, who will be ready to help you, I'm sure. And uh, if not your pastor, some other uh, sturdy Christian person whose marriage is successful to whom you can turn for real help, you and your husband or you and your wife, and find that help. But you probably need counseling if your own communication in your own marriage does not allow for discussion of these critical questions that you need to uh, get straightened out in your own life and your own relationship to one another. But let's go on. I want to talk now about this 24th verse again from a different angle. Let me read Genesis 2:24 for you. We read, For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. For those who were listening the last time, we made it clear from other passages in Genesis and Ephesians 5, where this verse is quoted and where it is explained and applied to a particular situation. We made it clear that the words one flesh do not uh, only refer to the sexual relation, but that they mean one person, that the two have become so close that they could be spoken of, as Paul does in Ephesians 5, as members one of another, that they become part of the same unit that has be they have become so fused together in every respect, sexually and in every other relationship, not just physically, but but to mentally and spiritually, in every way that you can think about them, they have become one person. What happens to one happens to the other. If one rejoices, the other rejoices. If one weeps, the other weeps. But you see, that comes about, and that kind of relationship takes place only when the first part of that verse 24 is a reality. When a man leaves his father and mother, and he cleaves to his wife, and it's that that I want to talk about today, that leaving and cleaving of which Genesis 2.24 uh, speaks as such an important element in this marriage relationship where two become one. Leaving, of course, is quite essential. That's the negative side of the relationship. Very often, people do not leave even though they may physically leave the home. But they keep the apron strings tied to the home. A husband particularly, as this verse says, and of course it speaks also of the wife underneath of this rubric, since the wife is to be subject to her husband. Nevertheless, the husband particularly is singled out here, the man leaving his father and mother, because it is he who must become the head of a new decision-making unit, his home. While he was in relationship to his parents and under the authority of that parental household umbrella, when he was there, uh, taking his particular, uh, taking his cues and his directions and his leadership from his own father and from his mother, 
he was still subject to the parties in that home. But now he must make a break. He must leave. He must walk out from beneath that roof and that household authority and the headship of his father. And instead of the responsibilities which his father assumed over him continuing, now the responsibilities are upon him, his own head, upon him and him alone before God. He must stand as the head of a new decision-making unit, responsible in a new and more comprehensive way before God than he ever was before. He now stands before God as someone who must take the responsibility for everything that happens to his wife, that happens to his children, that happens to his family as a unit. He is responsible for a family. He has married. He now is responsible directly, not through his parents, but directly to God as the head of a household. And anyone who lives in that home, anyone who lives in that household, indeed, uh, even a stranger, an adopted child, anyone else who may not even have a physical uh, relationship genetically to him, but who lives under his discipline and under his headship in that home, he is responsible for. As in the Old Testament, the head of the household, uh, the stranger within the gates of the household, was to obey the rules of that household, and the authority of that husband was to be respected by him. Now, that is a very potent and important fact to keep in mind. The head of a household must be just that and nothing less. He must assume that responsibility fully. That means he can't take orders from his parents any longer. That he can't divide his allegiance between his mother, let's say, and his wife. That he can't go running to mom or to dad to try to get answers to all of his problems. I don't mean to say that they can't offer suggestions or that he can't pay attention to them. But the final decision must be his, and he must begin more and more to make his own decisions apart from them. He cannot begin marriage with a third party running that marriage for him, nor can his wife. She is now to look to her husband as the head of her uh, home and her head, as Paul says in Ephesians 5. She's not to look to her father. She's not to look to her mother. She's not to look to any other man. She's not to look to her brother or her sister. The person toward whom she is to look for authority, even as he is to assume that responsibility which goes with that authority, is her husband. He is the head of that new decision-making unit. And when a man refuses in spirit or attitude to leave his home, even if he has left it physically, he creates a very difficult situation for himself and for his wife. And he creates a situation which actually is unnecessary. Now, it's true that parents sometimes will try to hang on to their children and make the, the, the leaving a difficult thing. But uh, this is one of the critical things that every marriage counselor should deal with before that marriage takes place, helping that young couple and those parents to enable uh, this break to take place. It may be that you're a parent, and it may be that you need to help your children to make the break. It may be difficult for you to make that break at this point, but you've got to do it, and that's what God requires of you. We'll talk a little bit more about that on the next broadcast, but right now, let's just get it very clear. The husband has become the head of a new decision-making unit. He must leave. 
The most important person in his life now is no longer his parents, but first is his wife. And the most important person in his wife's life is her husband, no longer her parents. The parent-child relationship was temporary. The husband-wife relationship is for good. And this, we hope, will be true in your marriage, that it really will be for good because you have looked on it as the primary of all human relationships, the primary relationship under God. Lord, help couples everywhere to recognize the primacy of this relationship and help them to recognize that they must make a break with all other relationships and cement this as the most fundamental, most basic, most primary, most important relationship in all of human relationships under God. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen.